Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Recently, beloved Muppet Elmo checked in with people on social media. He asked a simple question, how is everybody doing? And the responses flooded in. The reactions range from incredulous to, well, raging. One user wrote, Elmo, I'm gonna be real, I'm at my bleeping limit. The trauma dumping on Elmo begged the question, are we burnt out? This hour, we plan to explore burnout, answer questions on our minds, and hopefully answer some of yours. How would you say you experience burnout? Give us a call, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. And joining us to help us better understand why burnout is such a buzzword is Emily Ballesteros. She's a management coach and author of the new book, The Cure for Burnout. Emily, thank you so much for joining Where We Live today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. And we're excited that you're here with us and also excited to ask you um, about Elmo. Certainly, we have to start the conversation with the little red monster that we all love. And I bet he did not expect the type of trauma dumping that he got on Twitter. So what do you think this three-year-old Muppet triggered in us, you know, with with the responses that he received? Yeah, um, I think that anytime people get the opportunity to uh, be heard or express kind of where they're at um, and especially see if other people are also sharing that experience, people kind of lean in towards it, um, especially because, you know, we've been experiencing a lot of loneliness generally for a while. And so I think that social media is just kind of a watering hole now. And so to ask a question like this that can potentially be so emotionally charged because burnout is such a personal, emotional experience. I, I'm not surprised that this is the response that we got. Right. And just a fun fact for our listeners that a former Connecticut resident was actually behind the social media post from Elmo. So fun fact of the day. Um, and so I want to also talk about, because I think we hear the word burnout a lot. Um, it's definitely become a buzzword in recent years. So how would you define what burnout means? You know, what kinds of common stresses should we be distinguishing burnout from? Yeah, so burnout is prolonged exhaustion. Um, prolonged exhaustion to the point where um, I know when I was at the peak of my burnout, it's not just a, a hard day. Um, I was so tired for so long that I was very open to getting in a minor accident or getting sick or I got chronic migraines. So getting a migraine at the time because those things meant that I had to take a break and it wasn't me tapping out and saying, oh, I can't handle this. So I I need to take a break. It was something else taking me out for a little bit so I could take a break. And that is a huge red flag for burnout that your life feels so out of your control um, that you are hoping something else comes and gives you a break. Um, but it's that sense of uh, exhaustion where you are not even sure where to start in resolving it. Um, it can make you feel like you're backed against a wall. You have maybe constant anxiety about work. This is kind of bleeding into those signs. 
constant anxiety about work, um, disturbed sleep, racing thoughts, um, picking up a lot of bad habits that you know tend to happen when you're starting to experience burnout. So um, laundry or dishes pile up when you can normally stay on top of them, neglecting texts, calls, FaceTimes, just kind of socially isolating because you don't have the resources, excess resources to socialize the way you might normally. Um, it's There's so many different types of symptoms in so many directions that tend to show when we are just at kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel of our energy because we don't have much left to give because we're so exhausted. Well, and I think the the list that you just you just made of of all the red flags that you have been feeling, I'm sure it resonates with a lot of people and a lot of our listeners. And just a quick note that based on a report from USA Today, while it's not classified as a medical condition, burnout is officially recognized by the World Health Organization, which called it an occupational phenomenon. So I want to ask you, you know, it's it's not a new thing, but it's certainly something that I think people are more open in, in talking about um, recently. So can you, can you tell us what's the state of research on burnout? You know, what do we know about it right now? Yeah, so right now... Um, as you said, it's it's kind of looked at as an occupational stress um, on the World Health Organization's website. They define it as um, mismanaged workplace stress. And so there's a large um, body of research kind of examining it in workplace context. But it's also applicable to people who are outside of the workplace. And I think that that's kind of where we try to expand the conversation to is if you're a stay-at-home mom with four kids, you're probably burned out too. Um, if you are, you know, a full-time medical student with a hundred hours of, I don't actually know what medical students do, but I imagine you're studying a lot. <laughs> something to study. Right. <laughs> you are also experiencing your own form of burnout. If you're studying for the bar, you're experiencing burnout. Like there, if you're a full-time volunteer, if you're a full-time caretaker, if you're a full-time, if you're doing anything where you are giving away more resources than you have to give before you start to experience that drain and exhaustion, then uh, you can be experiencing burnout. So um, right now, a lot of people are discussing it uh, in the work context, outside of the work context. And it just depends on what area you're looking at because um, there every industry kind of experiences burnout differently. And there are different um, kind of types of burnout. I talk about the kind of the three major umbrellas of burnout, um, which is burnout by volume. Um, so just by sheer volume of things you have to do. Social burnout when you have people in your life who are causing you a lot of your burnout. And then burnout by boredom, which is um, just when you are kind of chronically disengaged from your life and it lacks novelty and variety and positive challenge that keeps you engaged. And as a result, you kind of slip into like a mental autopilot. Um, so those are the three kind of umbrellas that I like to categorize people in as opposed to just workplace a non-workplace. Right. But as you can as you can see, there are so many different directions to examine burnout in as it's becoming kind of more uh not trendy, but it's becoming more prevalent and people are becoming more vocal about it. Sure. And and I think with everything that you just described and with the categories too, I think they're so interconnected. It's really hard to separate, I think, any of those, you know, symptoms as you mentioned earlier. So I also want to ask, you know, how did you set out to research this? What was your own experience with burnout? I think you, you've also you yourself had a very unorthodox sort of journey to this. Yeah. So um, I had, I was working in corporate training and development. And so I, 
understood how to kind of put together something, just kind of a result yielding training. And then I had gotten my master's degree in industrial organizational psychology. So I got the, I feel like getting a master's in that area was kind of learning a lot of uh, the pieces that go into professional development, employee experience, all of that on easy mode, because I got to do it in that context. Um, and so got to get my master's in that. And then after I burned myself out, I was looking for resources on burnout. And this was like 2018-ish. So this was pre-pandemic. And so burnout wasn't even as trendy as it is nowadays, um, or as widely known as it is nowadays. So once I figured out that what I was struggling with was burnout, um, I decided that, you know, I know how to put something together that could be a resource. So um, did so much market research. Um, I had a, just a couple like hundred social media followers at the time, but reached out, asked if anybody was experiencing the signs or symptoms of burnout and if they would be willing to talk to me. I thought I would get maybe four responses. I got dozens of responses um, because people, um, as you, as Elmo found out, um, are happy to talk about their burnout experience, um, learned as much as I could from other people who are experiencing burnout, and then started to put together the kind of, there, there were clear patterns in what people were struggling with, and those areas then became kind of the burnout management methodology, like the five pillars of burnout management. And so those areas are mindset, time management, stress management, boundaries, and personal care. And those are the areas that people just struggled with or said, if I were better in these areas, it would alleviate my burnout. And then from there, I made sure that combining those topics, um, I, it provided relief for me. And then I started working with one-on-one -on -one clients to make sure that those topics worked for them. I feel like one-on-one -on -one is the most reliable way to kind of start incorporating a solution like this because you get a lot of user feedback. You can make sure that you're getting consistent results. Um, and it evolved from there to working with larger groups of people and then um, training companies and groups and organizations. And that whole time you're getting a lot of feedback on what works and what might not work in certain industries. Um, and so this has been a very, um, it, this process has, had a lot of people touch it um and that i feel like makes it the most human and has is what has made it work is it's getting user feedback constantly as opposed to like i'm sitting up in a tower somewhere and i have some ideas and i sprinkle them down to my people it's like you, people are interacting with the content the entire time that's a pretty good image that you just painted sprinkling information <laughs> from a, like a castle yeah. window a different kind of rapunzel i think if you will yeah uh, well i mean it, it sounds it makes sense to me i feel like you know you're gathering all this information and feedback from from people um who are experiencing it and and so sort of with what you just described too, you know, your book gives a lot of tips for individual readers who may be struggling with burnout. I think much like your, the one-on-one -on -one sessions that you have, I think you can kind of see that as the experience reading the book. And, you know, how do you how do you find balance in terms of the need for individual solutions? So when you're doing your one-on-ones versus addressing the more systemic influences on people's lives, because it's certainly something that's a little bit bigger than just, you know, the one person, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I like to work with the individual themselves because a lot of those, I like, I, that's very, I have a very bottom-up approach instead of top-down approach mm -hmm. because I can, I can talk to everybody who's in the, kind of in that bottom space. Um, and the tools that I described, like mindset, time management, stress management, boundaries, personal care, all of those are things that impact the individual most heavily and in their day-to-day -day right. experience. 
Um, whereas what, and one of the reasons that I loved training or I love training organizations, um, is you get to bring that material to everybody that those individuals then work with and potentially their managers or potentially their directors. And then it can start to happen from the top down more so because everybody's exposed to the material. Um, and that is, that's kind of the space that I'm usually, um, trying to make that impact systemically. There are so many there are so many issues that I would need to be spoken to in more uh, of a targeted sense as opposed to looking at skills like the mindset time management, all of that. That would take a lot of willingness on companies' parts to kind of rebuild and um, examine what it is that they might be doing that supports their bottom line but does not support the employee. And that would be a lot harder conversation to have that I don't know if they would let me in the room for. I don't know if they want me in the room for that. So I kind of go where I'm welcome. And then um, those conversations definitely need to happen. Um, But they, it would take a lot of willingness on companies' parts. And here, just a quick reminder to our listeners that you can also join the conversation. Give us a call, 888-720-9677, or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I'm going to take a quick call from Valentina, who is calling from Farmington. Valentina, you are on the line. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to say that I think even calling it burnout at this point is a bit of a misnomer. It really feels more like just the state of modern life in terms of where we are as a culture and society, that we are all tasked with doing more than um, would be reasonable to expect for any one human being to do in 24 hours, particularly for mothers or people who have caregiving responsibilities. And then on top of that, um, caregiving is not kind of, it's, it's not valued. It's certainly not something you get payment, respect, or status for. Um, And that in and of itself is a moral injury, which makes the whole burnout thing even worse. Um, But we're not really, uh, while we're encouraged to like do self-care and take care of our needs, the fact of the matter is that there is just not time for that. Um, and I mean, personally, I say that as a single parent of four children, who is also the sole breadwinner for those four children, and also has caregiving responsibilities in her family. Um, and it's, uh, on, on top of that, we are not as community-based as we used to be. And I feel like people really just don't, they don't care about each other and other human beings. Everyone's kind of focused on what's going on with them. And I think that's in part because everybody's burnt out. So it's like it creates this this awful cycle where we're not even in a position to help each other because everybody's drowning. Well, thank you so much, Valentina, for sharing your story. And hopefully this conversation will help alleviate some of that uh, as much as we can. And interestingly enough, I was just having a conversation with a friend who is also a caregiver. And she echoed a lot of what Valentina said is not being respected um, as a as a as a loved one. And so, you know, Emily, you just heard from Valentina. I'm going to make a huge assumption here that you've heard this before. Um, hi, Valentina. Nice to meet you. Um, it's, I mean, the sentiment that there's too much to do for anybody to do comfortably, I completely agree. Um, I think that 
you know, it, it feels like life used to be simpler. Um, there was less to do. There were less places to be. There were fewer, ex there were not fewer expectations, but, you know, when you came home from school, you just kind of played outside and then came home, had like probably a repetitive dinner and then went to sleep. And now we're combating all the things we feel like we could or should be doing and all these other expectations. And um, I think that when it comes to feeling like there's just far too much to do, the question that's asked a lot of times is, what's the most livable version of my life? Like given the things that I can't change about my life, how, how do I make this the most livable possible? And initially, a lot of people are like, I think I'm already doing that. Um, but it really is like the process of like, well, first of all, it, it unfortunately takes time and space, which, as was stated, is exactly what burned out people do not have. But it's trying to like back up in some way, take that second to determine what what's immovable and what's movable. Okay, immovable pieces, this is how they're being managed. And then the movable pieces, is there anything else I can do? Um, or anybody I can talk to or ask for support? Um, and that might be a manager or something along those lines to try to change your experience with them. Um, it's just, I mean, at a certain volume, it's it's just really difficult to make a lot of those shifts because you need that space in order to make the changes. But even if it's more work up front to make those changes, it ends up alleviating a lot of the pressure on the back end. Um, and most people are really glad that they end up making the changes even, even if initially it is more work to do so. But anytime I hear about the volume in somebody else's life, I just wish I could go and like help alleviate it. And I feel like most people, when they hear things like that, it's like, oh, I wish you were my neighbor so that I could come over and like, you know, give you muffins or like do like anything to try to support people. Um, I think good people are still looking to live in community and support people, but just in the, for the average person's experience, everybody is so head down in their own life that it feels like we're all in this together and also all in this alone. And um, I don't know where the other people are who are also experiencing this and I probably don't have time to talk to them. So hear what you're saying. I wish that we it, it was different and there were fewer demands. Um, and then what? how can you make the things that are in front of you the most livable? Well, and, and very much related to the points that Valentina made because you wrote in a piece for Time about your book and, and you said, we have not built a human needs first society. We have built a business needs first society and it's starting to show. And so can you can you talk about that too? And and because also a part of that, you have a very helpful metaphor about a boat and a flag. So can you walk us through that as well? Yeah. So um, I are you referring to the big problem, smaller problem with the flag yes. and the hole in the bottom of the boat? Yep. Okay, great. I just made sure we're on the same page. <laughs> Absolutely. I have I made any other references to boats and flags. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> my brain real quick. Okay, so, um, um, yes. So, um, the for the boat and the flag, just so people have a visual, there, if uh, there's a hole in the bottom of your boat and then there's also rips in the flag and you're trying to get somewhere, the thing you address first is the hole in the bottom of the boat because uh, it doesn't matter if you fix the flag if you sink because there's the hole in the bottom. And a lot of times we make cosmetic changes. Um, we're working on the flag because we're like, oh, the flag will help us get there as fast as possible and just kind of disregard the base. Um, and we want to make changes that are kind of like holes in the bottom of the boat changes if possible. And unfortunately, like 
that's not, it, it kind of ties into our culture of coping right now, where when people experience burnout, it's like, I'm going to online shop more, or I'm going to order dinner tonight because that would make like, you know, my, my dinner routine easier, or I'm going to, um, like they'll do something in that kind of cosmetic space as when really the hole in the bottom of the boat is the fact that they are working overtime every week. And for as long as they work overtime every week, that's going to be the real drain on them. It's not, oh, if I, you know, hire a housekeeper once a week, that's going to be the thing that changes everything. It's like, you will probably still be burned out. You will also just have a little bit less to clean. Um, and so it's, it's trying to get to the root of what it is that's burning you out and then really see what you can do about it. Um, and what kind of changes could be made in order to kind of relieve you a little bit. Well, and, and as we continue to find, I think, sort of our individual roots and also as research continues with this, with the idea of burnout. Also, another point that Valentina made was talking about how the word seems to be like a misnomer. So do you think we need a new word for this phenomenon? Because it has certainly changed, I think, since the word came out. Yeah, I feel like it's shifted from being a feeling to just kind of like a state of the world. And um, it. it it used to kind of feel like temporary and like in my in book, I talk about how like it used to feel reserved for, you know, accountants during tax season and um, people in healthcare working 24 hour shifts and consultants working hundred hour weeks. Like there's a time and place for burnout. And I think now it's everywhere all the time. And everybody is like one bad week or mm. a couple accidental overcommitments away from experiencing burnout. They've skated really close to it. Um, and so I, I think that it's just, it, it it is because it's grown so large it feels like it needs a new word it's kind of like how when you hear a word too much it starts to lose its meaning right. which is why i see personal care in my book instead of self-care because i feel like we've just said self-care so much that it means sure. nothing to people anymore um so we probably do need a new word but i also think it needs the hefty acknowledgement that so many people are not feeling like they're doing well. Uh, and so it's, it's more, it's a more widespread experience than just like a one-off, like, oh, I'm burned out. Right, it's right, right. Well, you've been listening to Emily Ballesteros, who's a management coach and author of the new book, The Cure for Burnout. And she's with us for the hour today. Coming up, we'll get meta for a moment and hear from one researcher focused on burnout in the local news industry. But burnout is common across industries. Let us know what's your experience. You can join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. 
I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. This hour, we're unpacking a buzzword, burnout. It happens across most industries. Some of our Connecticut public colleagues have reported on burnout in healthcare and among early childhood, early childcare educators and teachers. And when this program covered burnout in the nonprofit world, our phone lines were flooded. Researchers at the University of North Carolina have set out to study how burnout is showing up in the local news industry. And joining us now to discuss is Elizabeth Thompson, who's a local news researcher at the Center for Innovation and Sustainability in Local Media at the University of North Carolina. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. And still with us to answer your questions is Emily Ballesteros. She's a management coach and author of the new book, The Cure for Burnout. For our listeners, you can join our conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, Elizabeth, you've been listening to the conversation we've been having with Emily. What has your reaction been? Is there anything that jumped out to you that, that Emily spoke about? I think that a lot of the things that Emily has been talking about in terms of her book and what she's seen in her work with burnout is very reflective of also the work that we've done more on a kind of micro scale with burnout in local journalism. Um, we kind of set out to quantify burnout among local journalists last year, um, and we found about 70% of the local journalists that we surveyed experienced personal and work-related burnout. And I thought it was interesting how she talked about the three kind of buckets of burnout. Um, we also measured burnout in three buckets, but a little bit differently. Um, we used uh, a burnout inventory that was um, made by researchers in Copenhagen. It's called the Copenhagen Burnout Inventory. It measures burnout across um, personal, work-related, and then interpersonal burnout. And that's kind of how we measured burnout. But definitely, there is a need to kind of quantify what we're talking about when we say burnout, since it is now such a buzzword. It's such a word that people are talking about with maybe without actually knowing if if they are actually experiencing kind of that textbook definition of burnout. Right. And um, I asked uh, Emily this question earlier. I want to pose this question to you, too. You know, can you talk about what was your own personal experience with burnout and how did that lead you to to start researching it? Yeah. So before I worked in research, I was actually a local journalist for a couple of years. Um, I covered the 2020 election. And following that, I covered COVID in the prison system here in North Carolina. And there was a lot of heavy stuff that I was covering day in, day out. A lot of journalists now also talk about the weight of the 24-hour news cycle, which um, I couldn't help but relate to also the caller earlier who was talking about just the everyday kind of stress. Um, Their experience was a little bit different, but I think for local journalists also, that 24-hour news cycle, you are always kind of in it. There's really no off time. And for me, uh, as a young person starting out in the industry, it was a lot to handle. I didn't have a lot of support systems. Um, 
And I just felt overwhelmed by it all. It was hard to be excited about the work that I was doing because it just felt never ending. I certainly hear that. Uh, I, I covered uh, the the pandemic as well and, and everything before and in between. And, and I think it's one of those experiences where I don't know if I really realized I was burned out until after the fact. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly a sentiment that a lot of my colleagues share. And I think we're definitely still trying to figure out how to, how to uh, work with that. Um, but Elizabeth... You mentioned the research earlier, so I want to talk to you about, you know, where are you in, in, in researching this year's results? You know, how are you seeing any differences from the previous year? So we just um, stopped fielding a related survey to our burnout survey, which is looking, um, it's not specifically measuring burnout, but it's looking at people who've stayed and left the industry and their reasons why. Uh, The reason that we decided to do this survey following up our burnout study was that there's research on um, specifically work-related burnout in journalism that the only way to kind of get past that burnout is to leave. Um, And of course, there are also a lot of other reasons why people might be leaving journalism at this time. Um, A lot of us are aware of the layoffs that are occurring in the industry um, that are also kind of forcing people out. So we were interested in, you know, we've been talking about burnout. We know that it's pervasive in the industry um, from our research, finding that 70% of local journalists were experiencing uh, burnout is a very high number, obviously. Um, But we also wanted to understand um, if it's causing people to leave and also if maybe there are people who've stayed who found ways to be resilient um, or if there are specific uh, patterns in terms of organizations um, that might be good examples for other organizations to follow in terms of giving the support that um, that people need. Well, and you mentioned, too, that there has been a lot of layoffs in, in the journalism industry. Can you also tell us, or, you know, what can you tell us about the differences between journalists who were laid off versus those who have left voluntarily? We have a, a quick stat here. Over 500 journalists were laid off in January alone. This is based on a report from Challenger, Gray and Christmas, which is a career transitioning firm. And as Claire Regan, from uh, the president of the Society of Professional Journalists, points out, local journalism is often the first to be impacted by these cuts. So, Elizabeth, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our research itself has not really delved into quite that difference. But I can tell you that in both of the surveys that we've done, the existence of layoffs, whether that a person is laid off or not, just the existence of it is something that people have noted as impacting both their mental health, um, their experiences with burnout, but also the way they see their future in their career. Um, it's definitely, you know, talking about um, how the world maybe just feels different for sure for local journalists. It feels like the industry itself is caving in around them. And that is a very hard feeling to deal with when you're also have work to do. You have stories that you're writing, you're producing, um, people that you're interviewing and dealing with. And then you also have this kind of outside pressure on you that, hey, like these people who I thought were amazing and should have jobs forever, just got laid off. What makes me special? Um, wh- why Why should I have a job right now? And I think that pressure is really hard for a lot of people. 
Well, and and with that pressure too, with that knowledge and that experience, you also found that younger journalists and women are more likely to leave the industry. So is this is this an area that you're hoping to learn more about in terms of the trends with this year's results? Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the main reasons why we took this um we took this approach with the survey this year is we wanted to understand what's going on with those younger people. Uh, what are their experiences? Uh, there's also been past research, research that um, has found that maybe what we're seeing, it's not uncommon. It's a common theme that younger women and uh, that younger women are more likely to leave. Um, and that research has found that maybe um, people are just more resilient as they stay longer. Maybe um, there's kind of like a filtering mechanism early on in the career that keeps people who might be just more able to withstand the pressures that are put on journalists. Um, but we wanted to really look into that because at least what I've seen anecdotally as someone who works in a journalism school and attended journalism school, a lot of the people who I see in the hallways are young women. So we want to be able to know what, what they're experiencing so that we can put them in a position of power going into their careers. And that's so interesting because as you were describing that, I'm trying to picture my own classroom. I went to journalism school and I think when I was there, it was pretty 50-50. But unfortunately, I think almost 98% of my classmates are no longer in the industry or if they've crossed over, not in journalism. So it would be very interesting to find out, uh, you know, the, the research that you're doing, of maybe the follow-up conversation later on in the year. I do want to bring in Emily real quick. Emily is the a management coach and author of a new book, The Cure for Burnout. Uh, Emily, you've been listening to Elizabeth's uh, conversation here. We'll love your response to her findings, obviously specific to an industry, but anything that jumped out to you or anything that surprised you at all? Oh, yeah. I was tempted to jump in. I, I There's so many different pieces that, I mean, I... I I feel like in an industry, it, people, especially if it's an industry with high rates of burnout, either the people who remain either have accepted it, like they don't mind working around the clock, like they almost love it. It's like part of their identity. And they're like, yeah, I, I have this job. It consumes my life. But like, they don't mind. Um, or they have just accepted it because they don't know what else to do or where else to go. They don't feel like they have another option. And so they've kind of reluctantly accepted it and are surviving it. Um, some people survive in those industries because, and they still seem to have a sense of balance because they have cutthroat boundaries. Like they're not a people pleaser. They'll do their job and they'll do their job well. And then they're leaving. And like, if you can't reach them, they don't have qualms necessarily about it. Um, they're just not as, they don't have that as much of a people pleasing element. Um, and then, or like people are like, you know what, this isn't worth it. And they leave. And I think we've just seen the industries shift so much over the past few years. Um, and the, a lot more people are um, willing to leave jobs. Um, and we've seen the, you know, the shattering of like, you have to be at a job for at least X amount of time or it looks bad. Now people are starting jobs, realizing, you know, the most senior person here has only been here one year because there's such high turnover, because there's such high burnout and they're not fixing what's burning people out people are just going to keep leaving. So um, I think that there's just kind of been a, a lot more of um, the transparency with industries that do have higher burnout rates and people being willing to leave. And there's, there's I could say so much, but I'll stop there. But yeah, I, that, that's what I feel like I see when people either stay or leave. 
Right. And, and, and Elizabeth, with what Emily just said, too, you know, with the with the high turnover and, and you know, you witnessing the senior person leaving or the senior person is only there for a year, uh, like what was just described. And that can do all kinds of things, I think, to a, to a young person's brain trying to break into an industry. So does what Emily said land with you, Elizabeth? Oh, yes, absolutely. It. I think we're just experiencing a time where people are starting to think about work differently across the board. Um, and part of that is also because work has changed. You know, like when my parents were my age, they had pensions from their jobs and there was a real incentive to keep people and grow them within roles. And now it's just not the same. And so I think um, there's just a difference in the way that younger people, especially, I think, think about work. Um, because of those reasons, they don't feel like they will be taken care of as much by their employers, and they're not taken care of as much by their employers. So yeah. they kind of need to start thinking about themselves a little bit more. And I think that's kind of the shift that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I feel like I've seen in media, I don't know if you guys have seen too, like, there's a big push for the simple life. People want a simple life again. Um, when I talk to burned out people, a common kind of fantasy that they have is running away and like living in the mountainside and doing a job that like stays where it's at. So like bartending or being a barista or working in a library, like something where you go and you do it and then you get to leave and it doesn't follow you home. Um, yes, Emily, I literally had those exact fantasies when I was working as a journalist. I was looking into like librarian school. Exactly. I was like, maybe I should be a librarian. That seems like such a happy job to be surrounded by books all the time. Yeah. Although I, I have family who are librarians and I don't know if it's, that's exactly it's the dream that yeah. people think that it is. But uh, for sure, that feeling of like, wouldn't it be great to have a job that I'm just not stressed all the time, um, whatever that job is? Well, I'm, yes, I'm glad you absolutely. said it. I'm glad you said it, Elizabeth, because I've heard the same thing in regards to librarians. But I'm a huge reader and a huge fan of libraries. So obviously, we'll love to look into that as well. And and Elizabeth or uh, Emily, as you were describing the fantasy, all I was seeing in my brain were all these memes of running away into the forest mm -hmm. and just lying yes. down on the dirt and growing into wood and have mushrooms growing out of you. So that's, that's <laughs> so, very cottage core. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll be continuing this conversation. You've been listening to Elizabeth Thompson, who's a local news researcher with the University of North Carolina. Uh, stay with us, our, our fellow listeners. We'll also be speaking with Emily Ballesteros, who's a management coach and author of the new book, The Cure for Burnout. And listeners, we've bravely asked you the same question Elmo did. How are you doing? Let us know. 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Back with us to answer your burning questions about burnout is Emily Ballesteros, who's a management coach and author of the new book, The Cure for Burnout. And listeners, you can still join us, 888-720-9677, or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So I want to talk about some myths about burnout that you like to bust for us, Emily. What are some myths yes. that you like to bust? Um, first, that it is a badge of honor and it's normal or it's something to that you just kind of have to do that's par for the course or that's a rite of passage. Um, I think that 
everybody kind of experiences at their own version of about of burnout and they make a decision about it at that point of uh i'm going to keep doing this for my career or i want to avoid this uh going forward because it's just compromising my quality of life too much and um so i would say be be aware of that kind of burnout's a badge of honor or burnout is normal mentality because uh we're having a stress response like what burnout is that prolonged stress it's keeping us in fight or flight it is compromising our body's health and our wellness and it's it's going to end up showing um in other ways so it's not just like oh i'm tired and i'm coping with it it's like i'm putting my body into a basically fight or flight response all the time and that is that's not how we're supposed to live Um, so that's kind of a second myth or, or something to bust there is it's not just an experience. It's a full body, uh, kind of reaction. Um, let's see what other myths are there. Um, I don't know that it's a myth, but, um, that the only way to cure your burnout is to quit. I will say it depends on the job you're at. And I think that if you were to describe your job to somebody that like a stranger would be able to tell Yes, you could experience balance in that job or nobody could probably experience balance in that job. Um, and so if it's one of those, nobody would be experience balance in that job. Everybody you work with is burned out. The industry is notorious for burning people out. Then you might need to reflect on if it's worth it to you. Um, but if, if it sounds like elements are within your control to manage the burnout, you don't have to quit. You can do everything you can on your side of the street and then determine is this now livable or might this job actually be one of those can't live with jobs? Well, and I know this is not a black and white question for a black and white answer, but is there a cure for burnout? You mentioned you mentioned certain things that we can do as individuals to perhaps make it a little bit better, but is there an ultimate cure for burnout, you think? I would say that you can get as close as possible as far as working on kind of those five elements, like the combination of mindset, time management, and I'll actually slow down and kind of talk a little bit about why each of these kind of contribute to it. Sure. Um, and then in by using those, I think you can get as close as possible to you being really resilient to burnout. Um, and then it's just a matter of circumstance. Like then there are things that are out of your control where no matter how well you're taking care of yourself, you are just in a burnout situation. And then it's a matter of circumstance. But um, so for those elements and why they are helpful, mindset is just how you manage yourself. Um, it is like if I could get like a printout of all of your thoughts throughout the day, I would be able to see how you manage yourself, how you talk to yourself. If you're super perfectionistic and type A and expect a ton of your out of yourself and your thoughts all day sound like I could be doing this, I should be doing this, oh, I wasted my time doing this, I've got so many other things to do, I'm already behind, I'm so upset with this person, I can't believe they said that, what are they thinking right now? That's going to burn you out faster than somebody who's thinking, I'm only one person. I can only do one thing at a time. I'm focusing on this right now. I've made a list and I'll get to everything else later. Um, and they're kind of managing themselves in a calmer way. So that's where that mindset piece comes in. Um, time management. A lot of burned out people will say like, I'm busy all the time and I never feel like I'm making any progress. And it starts to feel like you're just pedaling to nowhere. Um, and so by focusing on time management and figuring out the best way to manage your time, you can feel like you're actually making progress on the things that are important. So even if you're busy, you don't have that sense of busy doing nothing and everything at the same time. 
um, stress management, because as I said, burnout is, it's a stress response. And you are, you, the more you understand how you experience stress and then what you can do at different points of your stress to alleviate it and make sure you're not living in fight or flight, the better physical experience you're going to have and mental because that stress seeps into that mentality piece. Um, boundaries. Boundaries are so hard, but they protect you. Um, knowing your boundaries is just knowing kind of where your limits are and speaking up for them. Because if you don't do that, you're constantly having those limits, over, they're overdrawing where those limits are um, and you end up burned out a lot quicker. Um, and then uh, personal care is just taking care of yourself consistently. It's not like damage control. I've had just the worst month, so now I'm gonna do X, Y, Z. It's just how you can consistently take care of yourself. And so I like to break it down into categories of like non-negotiables and then maintenance you might need to do and then rest you might need to do. And kind of, I have like a personal care pyramid in the book and that just made it a lot easier. But I, I think that hearing that about those elements and they all interact, but um, you can see how, if you can do those things, you can manage yourself really well. And then after that point, it's circumstance and you start to ask those hard questions about how do I, can I change my circumstances or how, what might need to change in order for me to, you know, have a better quality of life? I'm just imagining if I had all of my thoughts during the day written down on paper, <laughs> that will burn myself out. I feel like. No, I know. It's a, yeah, a lot of people are like, I would actually go to prison if all my thoughts what? during the day, people would be like, lock this person up. Right, right. Absolutely. That would be a little bit awkward. Um, and yeah. so I, I know we touched on this a little bit earlier, talking about whether or not burnout predates the pandemic. You know, how new is this phenomenon? And also um, want to talk about, do you see millennials as somehow unique to this moment or the shift that we've been talking about too? Um, we've um, had one burnout author, Christina Congleton, who has said that millennials are a cultural case study who started to recognize things about the systems we're in and starting to feel as if the game is rigged. I think that's a sentiment that I feel um, uh, you and Elizabeth have talked about throughout this conversation. So can you can you respond to that? Is that something that you feel similar about? You know what? I was just thinking about how... Uh, so I, I feel like the millennials were the generation that watched the American dream die. Like the generation before us, they were told, you know, you will, well, I'll say it for, as a, from the millennial perspective, we were told that you, we got to see like a relatively normal childhood. And then if you go to school and you get the degree, you get a job in your field, and then you can get enough pay to afford the house with the white picket fence. You get the dog, you can afford the 2.5 kids. Like you can go on one vacation a year. You like, it was, it was laid out. And then um, as we got to the finish line and accumulated those student loans um, to exact that dream, it, it was unavailable. And so we're not going to, you know, retire at 55 for the most part. Um, we got to see all of it done. And then upon doing it, the result is not the same. And so I think there's a lot of frustration from the generation um, because you, um, the, the reward is not the same for effort. Um, we're putting in the same amount of effort and then we're not seeing that same outcome. And so it, it uh, uh, naturally leads to a lot of frustration. Whereas Gen Z, they didn't even get to see the dream. Like they they kind of came about and like they they grew up seeing the dream already being crushed. And so I think that's why they're a lot more 
cynical and skeptical and are kind of um, I've seen a lot of conversations around like they're like, well, why are we doing this? And like we had a why but we were we were given a why and the why just like crumbled. But um, they they didn't even get to kind of see the the potential there. Um, and so that's I, I feel like my my biggest like uh, m kind of millennial take on the burnout experience and then previous generations like there were really hard jobs like they had their own version of going through it um but also they could you know buy a house for a reasonable amount of money there if they worked really hard they really could get the things that they wanted um and we don't necessarily see the exact that that same opportunity nowadays for effort well, very much related to what you just said, I want to uh, take a, a quick moment here to uh, talk about Anne Helen Peterson, who has written extensively about how millennials have sort of became the burnout generation and even exploring how the term has become a sort of pejorative put down describing the generation. And and uh, so with that in mind, we got about two minutes left here. But for older generations, as you just mentioned, you know, did they or do they experience burnout as we've been talking about it today? And if so, do you know how they navigated through it? Yeah, um, I think that, well, there was a lot more just like, uh, it doesn't matter if you're tired, kind of pull it together and like keep working hard mentality. Um, I don't think that they got the same, like, I see you, I hear you, like, let's find, like, there wasn't as much of that. I don't want to call it gentle parenting, but that kind of gentle sure. approach to their exhaustion. Like, I know my dad growing up, he delivered for UPS my whole life. And he, I'm never, I have no recollection of him complaining even once. Like, and I know that was a hard job, but just never, ever complained. And um, so I think that they, they absolutely experienced their own version of burnout, but it was a lot more bottled up, powered through, you went on your one vacation a year and uh, it was just kind of a different way of functioning. So absolutely dealt with it in their own way. Got about 30 seconds, but just want to ask, you know, what do you hope our listeners get out from this? Um, that there, there are things that you can do. There are changes you can make. Don't let yourself feel backed against the wall. Don't let them win. You've got to do what you can on your end because you deserve a high quality of life. Don't let them win, friends. You've been listening to <laughs> Emily Ballesteros, who's a management coach and author of the new book, The Cure for Burnout. Thank you so much, Emily, for being with us today. It was a joy. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm Catherine Shen. Today's show is produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download where we live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for listening. 